Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, and thank you, Mr. Kelly, for that nice passing the baton. Welcome, and thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. If you do have any questions or concerns about your lawn, your landscape, I was watching the news in a, you know, where all the uh, talent have their offices, and they're calling what we're having right now a moderate drought. There is no moderate drought. It is a drought, and it's dry. So um, while you're listening to the show, you know, go out there and turn on your sprinklers. Make sure your irrigation system's running more than 15 minutes every day. That doesn't do a darn thing. I'll tell you how you can check if you're adequately watering your plant material. After you finish watering, however, the normal time you do, just go out there with a trowel and dig down and see how far down is actually there is moisture. If it's only within the first half inch or inch even, then it's not enough. It's not adequate. So you need to change your system. But anyway, phone number, uh, Greg is here to answer your phone call. Just give him your name and where you're calling from. It's 314-436- 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Every Saturday, we get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, if you want to call it that, your garden, your house plants. Better get those house plants checked out because in about a month or so, they should be inside. And uh, potting mixes, soil improvement, yes, you can do that. Core aeration, yes, on cool season lawns, still got some time to do that. Pruning, bugs, diseases, planting, and good time to still do some planting. Don't plant those bulbs yet, those spring flowering bulbs, because the ground is just too warm. But remember, my words open opportunities. Then after that, it's physical work and mental work on your part during this great marathon that we call gardening. And uh, I certainly appreciate you being here because I know this is your show. And again, thanks to Greg. He is producing today. I think he's probably been six or eight weeks in a row now. Wow. Kind of amazing. Usually people get so sick of the Garden Hotline, they go, don't put me on that Garden Hotline again. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Five gardening books I've written, two are available at various locations. Also, I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. I would prefer if you did, you know, I'm so electronic, man, email. But uh, phone calls back and forth and back and forth, well, that'll still work. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tracy wanted me to call in as soon as I got downtown to make sure I was okay, so I did do that, so... Tracy, um, you might not be awake yet, but I did call and leave a message for you. The reason why I'm reading that is because I have it on, <laughs> on a good gardening stroll page. But anyway, day glow beginning to the east, all quiet as I drive towards Olive and 13th Street. 
But as I get to Olive and 13th, the street was filled with brown oak leaves that have blown in from the park, which is right there as well. Backdrops, there's squirrels scampering all over the place. There's some black-eyed Susans on the eastern slope. And they're doing pretty good, but boy, I mean, the peak season for even the black-eyed Susans is over. The lawn is neatly edged and has been recently cut. There's a double row of dwarf crepe myrtle, which runs along the southern banister of this wonderful building. Staff's coming out to check on things, and they pulled down some taped-on signs that were stuck on things that they shouldn't have been, but they were. And uh, where was I? Well, I was at the in front of the main branch of the St. Louis Public Library. There's lighting on scaffolding. There's boxes and crates and weather wrapping around. Looks like uh, speakers and things like that. There's a skyjack waiting for duty. Big banners announced. We are Shakespeare's exhibit. What is happening? Well, Shakespeare in the street called Blow Winds. That's September 15th to the 17th. I think that it was canceled last night, but I don't know about tonight or whenever the 17th happens to be. But anyway, they're supposed to be at 8 o'clock. That's when it starts with a pre-show at 6.30. There was a bunch of green chairs that are all lettered and numbered sitting in nice rows with the orange cones there telling you be cautious here because there are some electric lines running across the street. And uh, there's wheeled carts full of fold-up chairs too. There's people walking by just like normal, heading all over the place. The stage sits halfway up the library's front entrance steps. And uh, St. Louis and the United States flags, they're kind of hanging down. There's no breeze at all this morning. But it's cool, calm, and peaceful this morning. And here on the west side of Tucker, near the under-construction Soldiers Memorial. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions or concerns or comments and in between going out and moving your sprinklers around or checking your irrigation system, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Denny lives in Highland, Illinois. Denny, how are you today? Hey, Denny, are you there? I am. Okay, good. I thought maybe you fell out of your chair. No, for some reason the phone went dead for just a second, but I am, <laughs> I am sitting down. <laughs> uh, thanks, Mike, for taking my call. Sure. Um, at about the end of August, when the weather was so cool and fall-like, I decided to do some spot seeding in my yard. And so I did what I usually do, and that's I roughed up the areas and added a little compost and and planted the seed. Mm -hmm. And I did so in a couple spots in almost 100% shade. And I did some uh, in some more spots in where it's almost 100% sun. And I used the same technique, same compost, same seed and everything else. The spots in the shade just popped after about four or five days. The grass uh, grew and looks great. And in the sun, none of it is, has hardly grown. And I did that about a week later in both spots again, some other spots, and the same thing has happened. Got any idea what's going on? Why, why the stuff in the shade is doing so much better than the stuff in the sun? Well, probably, first of all, the stuff in the shade is just going to come up. It's going to you know germinate like you've seen and experienced. But then 
as the root systems of whatever's creating the shade, if it is plant material or just the shade in general, it's going to decline. So, But uh, maybe the grass seed that's in the sun says, I better hold off because I know it's going to get blazing hot. So it's, you know, it has to be related to soil temperature. You know, that's what triggers the germination of the seed. So the uh-huh. temperature was more ideal in the shade than it is in the sun, even though you would think that, you know, the sun would be, maybe it was just too warm. Even though the weather was cooler, the soil temperature was still probably pretty warm, and that's probably what prevented it from uh, germinating, would be my guess. Okay, well, that that, that makes sense. Should I uh, be patient with that, or should I try to reseed that sunny area? Um, I would say if you're not seeing any seed at all germinating in these spots, that's just very strange. Because I could see maybe a certain percentage not germinating, but none at all. So this is not a spot where there may have been put, you, know, you didn't put any pre-emergent or anything down, did you? No, okay. no not yet. No. So I would say you could go ahead and maybe try some more seed, but uh, I don't know if you know what's going to happen as a result of that. But anybody that wants to do any seeding, you've got about to the end of this month, you better get your seed down by then. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a million, Mike. Appreciate sure. the information. Yeah, sorry. I didn't really have a very good answer for you. Let's go to Sunset Hills now and go into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Mike, good morning. Uh, appreciate uh, you taking my call. I have a concern. We've, we've got a couple of... Oh, Jim, could you give, give us a call back, Jim, from uh, Sunset Hills? So I know you have a concern, but uh, maybe your battery on your phone died or something like that. So anyway, in your yard, a little experiment of my own. Whenever I visit people's yards for walk and talks and things like that, it always seems historically along driveways and along sidewalks, it's always very difficult to have lawn grow, regardless of what kind of lawn, whether it's a cool season lawn or a warm season lawn like zoysia or things like that. So this, you know, the last couple of years, what I've been doing is I have a zoysia lawn, but I've been trying to grow or allow zoysia to grow in between the expansion joints of the sidewalk at my house and just to see what's going to happen as a result of that. Actually, the zoysia now, this is kept very, you know, I keep it very damp, very moist or whatever, but the zoysia that's going in between, let's say, the sidewalk and street planting area, which is also zoysia, and across the expansion joint of the sidewalk to my yard is looking great. So the heat of the sidewalk and everything else does have an impact, but apparently if you keep it well watered, probably over watered, I should say, it's going to make, it's going to have success. So even on, you know, along your own sidewalk, along your own driveway and things like that, yes, it is like a pizza oven. That's always my analogy, but also if you keep it well watered, it should be able to, you know, survive. But this is probably, you know, long driveways and long sidewalks is a little bit different than a four or five foot stretch going in between the length or the width of a sidewalk. So I was just, you know, Tracy asked me the other day, she said, why are you letting that grow through there? And I said, well, I'm just fooling around with it to see how it's, how well it's going to do. So surprise. And, uh, Basically, the zoysia along my sidewalk and along, uh, you know, the street. Along the street's a little bit iffy, but uh, along the sidewalk, it really looks pretty darn good. So, anyway, weeds. You still got an opportunity, if you want, to get the pre-emergent down. There's probably already some of the weed seeds have germinated. The cool season weeds 
So the cool season weeds, remember, weeds are opportunistic, and they germinate when, where they're, you know, it's thin, whether your lawn is thick, whether, you know, sometimes it doesn't even matter. And millions of weed seeds can exist in your soil. Not all of them are going to germinate. Some are eaten, are eaten by soil insects, microorganisms, and things like that. But when conditions are right, a weed infestation can begin. So the annual cool season weeds, as I started talking about this in mid-August to late August, getting the pre-emergent put down, then what I'm saying is there still could be some seeds that are germinating and are going to be germinating, and that way by putting a pre-emergent down now, you might be able to eliminate some of the numbers. Let's put it that way. So henbit, dead nettle, those are two types of varieties of lamium. Those are some of the cool season weeds that are germinating now. Common chickweed, prickly lettuce, annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell, which grows very flat. It's actually a variety of veronica and has a bluish flower on it. The rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse are the main cool season weeds that would be germinating now. So that's some of the things that you need to be thinking about if you want to get a pre-emergent down. Also, Get to, if you want to try to do like the gentleman had called earlier, get some seed down if you want to overseed. You still got an opportunity or a chance. The warmer weather is, you know, should help because even though the nighttime temperatures may be dropping some, I, I can't understand quite why his seed did not germinate at all in the sun at all. That just seems very different because he did the same thing in both places. But other things that you need to be maybe thinking about in your landscape as well is... Well, I'll tell you, websites, you've got websites everywhere. These are not internet websites. There are three different kinds of webs that your plant material can have, and one of them is spider mites. They can do some major damage. So that's going to be made, you know, small webbing in between like the stem that holds a leaf to the branch or whatever it happens to be. Then there's going to be other types that are, you know, Overall beneficial spiders, they're going to be there as well. And then potentially there's something called fall web worms. And fall web worms, they're like the eastern tent caterpillar, only the fall version. So in other words, these are in between branches of trees, big, you know, huge kind of configurations of webbings and things like that. And what those are is that is a moth that has laid eggs there when these caterpillars, in other words, when the eggs hatch, these caterpillars form these big sort of like, let's say, elaborate um, webbing systems. The reason why they do that is because they are trying to keep the birds from eating them. So that's basically what they're doing is that's protection for them. So if you do look up and you see some like big webbing in your tree branches, just take a broom handle or something like that and just break it apart. So if anybody does have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Heading west on Highway 70 or Highway 6470 or whatever, one of those two highways. Sharon lives in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Sharon. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning. Hi. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Hi. Um, 
I have a question about a pin oak tree that I have in my front yard. Um, a few years ago, we had dug it out of the woods at, at my niece's place and transplanted it. Last Saturday, I walked out and discovered some of the branches had no leaves on it. So I walked to the tree and discovered the ugliest little worms, thousands of them, just just eating the leaves off. So I cut the cut the branches off that the leaves the worms were on. And um, sprayed, and I found several different clusters on the tree. But I sprayed the tree then with um, some seven spray. Mm-hmm. I haven't discovered anything else out there. Is that something that's like in the tree? Should I? Is it going to affect the life of the tree? No, it's you know um, it's more or less a cosmetic talking? type thing. As long as there's an adequate number of leaves, and it's near yeah. the end of the season, so that's a, you know that's a plus side of the thing. If this would have been very early on, you know nutrients and moisture come up from the root system they go to the leaf and the leaf uses sunlight to make food and that's what makes a tree grow stay healthy and everything else but if you eradicated you know all of them and with any kind of insecticide you use for the most part unless it's systemic you have to spray it right on to the insects or worms or whatever it happens to be and you could have simply just blown them off with a you know a hose with a shot of water if you had wanted to or squash them as well so there this year has been a very strange year as far as worms and caterpillars and things like that, way beyond, as I've told people, my mugle pine, which is right outside the kitchen window, had, mm-hmm. you know, pine sawfly worms, and never in the 10 years we've been in that house have they ever had it. And this year I looked out one day and I was shocked at how mm-hmm. many there were. So okay. you've probably done okay. everything that you need to do. Okay, okay. I'd never seen anything like that and just was concerned about the tree, the life of the tree. Yeah, so usually, I, you know, oak trees are not eaten because they have such a thick, waxy cuticle and they have such a thick leaf. Maple trees, okay. other things like that that have thinner leaves, eight, you know, ash trees as well, more so than the oaks. So they must have been uh, totally wild and crazy. It was gross. They were nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I caught them and I haven't seen any back. So right. I appreciate your time. Have sure. a great day. Yeah. With something like this, it's a one-time shot. So in other words, a female comes around, lazy eggs, they hatch. So it's not like a repetitive type thing. But just next year, watch it a little bit, you know, a little bit earlier. So let's go now from O'Fallon to Carlinville, Illinois, and into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Good morning. I have two questions. The first is about hollyhocks. I have an established plant, and I've harvested some of the seed. Mm -hmm. And how can I plant those in another spot? How would I do that? And would I have any luck? Would they, and would they come up yet this fall? Would I see them in the spring? You probably wouldn't see them this fall. You may. It just depends upon the weather and and circumstances like that. Now, where you're planting them? Is it a prepared bed? Uh, It will be. Okay, so prepare the soil before you put the seed down. And then all you have to do is sprinkle the seed on top of the ground and just lightly pat it, and that's about all you need to do. Okay, okay. Now, do they bloom? I've heard that they only bloom every other year. Well, basically biennials. So what they do is they they grow leaves the first year. The second year, they send up flowers. Then the third year, they, I mean, there is no third year. So after the second year, they produce seed and come back from the seed. Okay. So they're only two, they only live for two years, basically. Okay. And my second question is about bottle brush buckeye. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wanting to plant that on a bank that I don't want to mow. Is it, how big does it get? And is it, um, do um, animals bother it? Um, and is it hardy in this part of the 
the state. Uh, should be fine. If you want to see some growing, you go to the Botanical Garden. As, as you pass the Climatron and head up the pathway, there's a huge grove of the Bottle Brush Buckeye. And yes, probably, you know, height-wise, you're probably maybe looking at uh, 8 to 10 feet maximum. They are colonizers, but it's going to be a slow, involved process. You're not going to get it colonized very quickly. So just understand that for it to, you know, actually hold it and stabilize your hillside and everything else and make it so you don't have to mow, don't expect that to happen real fast. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Thank you, Carol. And again, if anybody has questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How are your summer bulbs doing? Your summer bulbs, meaning cannas, elephant ears, caladiums, and things like that, uh, starting to get near the end of the season. My cannas are still flowering a little bit, but the flowering has diminished and uh, maybe that flowering diminishing means that I, that's why I haven't seen any hummingbirds in my yard uh, for a week or two. And so consequently, I was at a home down near Imperial on Wednesday, and I, it was just great to see the number of hummingbirds that was headed south from, you know, I guess they'd already passed the city of St. Louis and we're going down 55. But uh, as these days get shorter, existing foliage is going to start turning brown or get browning edges. And the leaves are going to be smaller as well. So the fruit, you know, the flower production, as I said before, is going to go downhill. But uh, just cut, you know, keep cutting it off with some people are taking a chance and some people have had great luck with like cannas, especially on not digging them up at the end of the season and taking them inside. All they're doing is putting mulch, you know, a few extra inches of mulch over the top of them and um, basically and having good luck with them coming back. So if you want to try to do that, I have not heard of anybody doing it with elephant ears or with cladiums, but uh, those are the three major summer bulbs that I, you know, I consider myself. I know there are plenty more uh, that are more or less tropical type. And as I said, as the show began, if you have purchased and there's all over the place for sale, tulips, daffodils, crocus, you know, grape hyacinths, all those spring flowering bulbs, um, don't plant them yet. It's just a little bit too soon, and you might be fine. But if you put them in and the ground is still overly warm, that's where the trouble could come because it may trigger some germination of the bulb, and it may disrupt the whole cycle that you you anticipate. So it's not like you're going to all of a sudden see them come up in the middle of winter, full foliage or flowers or anything like that, but the bulb just may break out of dormancy. So that's why I prefer to wait and do it in October. Though there are plenty of people that say you can put the tulips in now but hold off on the daffodils. To me, I don't know what the difference is. So I, you know, I just plant them all at the same time. I put some in the ground. I put some in pots. The pots I just leave outside. I do have larger pots. So I make sure that when I put them in a pot, there's at least one to two inches of the potting mix between that and the edge of the pot. So that's what I do as far as in pots go. I put them in window boxes. I put them in all kinds of things. I've got grape hyacinths that I've had for, oh, maybe close to 10 years now. And at the, when they finish flowering and the foliage starts dying off, I just dig them up out of the window boxes that I have in, have them in, 
and shake all the potting mix off of them. Then I just dry them, leave them in my garage, just in a cardboard box with some layers of newspaper in between them. And then I take them back out and plant them again. So I've had great luck with them. I, that's one of my favorites. It is a minor bulb. You know, I understand that. But if you want to have some bulbs that are going to bloom very, very early, let's say in February, winter aconite. So that's a yellow flower. It's not very big. It's not spectacular or anything. And when you get these small, I mean, when you look at the, <laughs> the bulb of the winter aconite, it's going to look like a piece of brown dirt. But so at least put 15 or 20 in close proximity so you can get a nice impact from the yellowing flowers. So, um, and like I said, in February, I mean, you can't beat that at all. So when we're coming out, we're already bored entirely of winter. There's nothing like going out and checking out and all of a sudden seeing some yellow flowers that are not dandelions or anything along that line. Other things that you need to be thinking about maybe is, let's say, you're getting a little, you know, worn out with just taking, maintaining all your beds or whatever they happen to be. So you can go and actually get rid of a planting bed, which I've done this myself, and convert it to lawn. So that's just, you know, or you can go the other direction. Let's say you want more bed space because you want to add some spring flowering bulbs. You want to add spring flowering perennials, whether it's in the sun, whether it's in the shade, it doesn't really matter at all. You can certainly do that. And uh, just make sure you prepare the soil ahead of time. Prepare it well. Just, I mean, put several inches of compost into the ground, on top of the ground, and blend it with the existing soil. Don't Even if you get a t- compost topsoil mix, don't just lay it on top of the existing ground. you got to blend them together if you want good success. Let's go now to Fenton, and that's where Dale lives. Hi, Dale. Hey, how are you doing, sir? Very good. Hey, I got some creeping Charlie, and I got some weed be gone. It's concentrated, so I need to know if we have northern lawns in Fenton or southern lawns. <laughs> you know, what? Uh, <laughs> well, you can have either one. Uh-huh. So, I mean, this region, we that's the problem we have with our lawns in general. We're at the furthest extreme almost of where you can grow cool season lawns. So, in other words, north of here, they do very well. The fescues and bluegrasses and all that stuff, they love it. And But when they get here, our summers can be just brutal on them and cause some real aesthetic problems as well as physical problems for the lawns. And then the same thing happens with the warm season lawns when they're coming up from the south. We're at the almost the northern edge of where they're going to be somewhat successful. So the zoysia looks fine, looks great, but it can suffer some winter damage if we have a severe winter. So it does, you know, we, it depends upon your own individual lawn. My guess is you probably have a cool season lawn, but uh, if it's, you know, let's say tan in the wintertime, then you have a warm season lawn. Okay. No, it's green. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh I'll apply the weed be gone to get rid of the creeping Charlie and the clover. Absolutely. Now clover could take and either one of these could take multiple applications, so just realize or understand that. So one application of anything, even a concentrate or anything, and if it's a concentrate, you know, mix it, you know, according to oh, the yeah. to the label. And watch yeah. out for temperature wise, because a lot of times you can put an herbicide down when the temperature is too hot and you can cause some major damage to lots of different things that you didn't think was going to get damaged by some a product like Weeby Gone, which kills broadleaf weeds. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank Great. You, Mike. Good luck. Thank you. Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Want to warn everybody, also the gentleman that called about the We Be Gone on the Creeping Charlie and things like that in his yard, uh, post-emergence, those are herbicides that kill plants after they're actively growing. Pre-emergent kills them as the seeds are germinating. But uh, you got to watch out, not only with the high temperatures, but also realize as if we return to normal, which I'm assuming we're going to temperature-wise, the herbicides, the post-emergent herbicides, are going to become less and less effective as the season goes on. So when it gets cooler, the plants are translocating stuff a lot less, so it's not getting into the plant material as well. You could still use it to see if you could just even weaken the plant material and realize there's a couple things like violets, a couple things, and a clover, and a few things that are just maddening as far as the amount of times that you may have to spray even really, really good herbicides to get these things effectively under control. I've actually taken the approach with the violets myself. I do use a little bit of post-emergent let's say herbicides on the violets, but the majority of them, because I live in the city, I don't have a huge yard, I have dug them out with a weeder. Let's go now to St. Louis County, and that's where Rob lives. Hi, Rob. Hi. Hi. Is this the show that you sell items on? Uh, No, it isn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I can say, if you want to sell something, maybe if I get part of the profit. Well, that's all right. No, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> this is strictly gardening. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe I need to diversify a little bit. <laughs> Gee whiz. I guess she wasn't really listening to the show. Yeah, let's see. You can sell things. I, maybe I could sell her some sod or something like that. This time of year, you can still probably get the zoysia sod and you can get it, you know, so it's going to get the root systems established, but we're really getting kind of near the end of that time. Because, again, if the root systems are not established for anything that you put in, trees, shrubs, lawn, anything at all, be, as winter comes on, it could be problematic, and especially for something like zoysia, which is a warm season lawn. Ron lives in St. Louis. Ron, how are you? I'm doing good, and I appreciate your call. Sure. Uh, I live in the St. Louis city. And I have a, a small city yard. The front yard I had resodded with zoysia about, well, they tell me twice. I don't know if it's that much. But it's all brown right now. Yikes. Um, they, they sprayed insecticide and maybe uh, something else. I probably watered too much to dilute this insecticide. But it's, right now it's mostly brown. Can I do anything at this point to, to rejuvenate it uh, for the winter? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, you really don't want to fertilize this time of year because you could, if a, some of it is still alive, you could be forcing some growth because the fertilizer is not going to have an instant impact. Uh-huh. Now, if you use a liquid feed, that would have more of an instant impact. But still, the zoysia should be not brown yet, but it's going to head towards dormancy real soon. Okay. So if, it's, if they put sod down and it turned brown... Yes, well, I mean, immediately, but uh, that, that was about three or four months ago. And so you watered it very well for the first couple, you know, let's say two weeks that it was down, and then just went to a regular watering routine after that? Yes. 
did they do anything to the soil before they put the sod down? I understand there was lime put down. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've been told. Well, lime doesn't do a thing. Lime is not the best thing to put down unless they've had a soil test done indicating your lawn or your soil where the lawn was being laid was acidic. So putting lime down, actually lime could be a dehydration factor. So it could have had an impact on your lawn. So that was really a you know bad mistake for people to put anybody. Don't put lime on your lawn of any type unless you've had a soil test that says your soil pH is below 7, way below 7, like lower 6s. Because lawn, all lawns want to have a slightly acidic soil. So an acidic soil meaning like more or less vinegar rather than salt. So your soil pH ideally for any type of lawn is 6.9 to 6.1 in that range. So if, they've, if it was already high because you've been fertilizing over the years or anything else, and then they put lime down on top of that, that could have been the problem, dehydration. Hey. Hey, is there anything I can do now or just wait till the next growing season in the spring? Yeah, just keep your fingers crossed because uh, may, you know, make sure that it doesn't go through any more drought stress. I don't know if you stopped watering because you got discouraged or something like that, but continue to water and just hopefully there's some sprigs and then you may be able to plug it. You may have to end up having, you know, it resodded. Out of again. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate that information. Sure. Thank you. Wow, that's a disaster. And uh, sorry, Ron. Now let's go to St. Charles and to Rickshard. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a large, uh, about a 30-foot-tall thin oak tree that has these uh, go- uh, gourds or whatever. Yeah, galls. G-A-L-L. Yeah. Yeah, all over the tree, and right. it's weighing down several of the branches. Um, is, if I aggressively prune it this winter, would that help? It will help a little bit, but uh, generally the the wasp, which is not the classic kind of wasp, that the female that lays those eggs that causes these galls, the eggs hatch, then they go into the stem, and that's you know to protect themselves while they're in the growing cycle. That's what causes that bloating or that gall. So you're going to eliminate some of the population maybe, but for the most part, once a tree has it, they kind of hang around the same tree where they were born for the rest of their, you know, generation after generation after generation. So you may have a tree service come out and see about injecting the tree. You could certainly do some pruning, but if you have so many gall on the branches that it's actually causing the branches to, you know, weep down, that is a lot of galls. It is. Uh, yeah, the top the top is bending over even. So. Wow. I would say, hmm, this doesn't sound good at all. Because all these, the stress from the weight can cause small, you know, let's say cracks. Then when we get rain and all that other stuff, you get moisture in there. It's a great invitation for other insects to actually get inside the tree. So just watch out just kind of in general. I would say, I would say not, I don't want to tell you not to waste your money, but... Uh, I would think uh, this doesn't sound good. Is this something relatively new to the St. Louis area? Oh, no. The gall's been around for a long, long time. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Yep. So just kind of stay away from the red oak group. So if you want another tree, maybe think about getting a maple to replace this. Before you take the tree out, you know, you can get another tree like a maple tree or an ash tree. Emerald ice borer. Every tree has some kind of problems one way or another. But uh, anyway... Just watch out in general. So 
We've got George and Anita on the phone, so if anybody else has any questions, give us a call. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.